So thank y'all for joining in. I'm here to testify um, and give you the perspective of a child of a drug addict. And I'm also going to share my own personal struggles and my um, secret sin as well. And with anything that I say, I don't intend to hurt anybody or make anybody look bad, not even my family members or anybody else. I'm just here to share what God has done in my life. And I want to also thank Pastor Green and Sister Green for giving me this opportunity just to share this. Um, this is the first time I actually share my testimony in full detail and revealing lots of stuff. So, yeah. So, and, and you all know I'm a teacher and whenever I teach, I like to say, you know, give a brief overview of what's going to be happening and then I actually say it. So, I'm going to tell you all. So, I'm going to start with my childhood and then my teenage years and everything that you will hear will be in chronolo chronological order. It's not going to be out all over the place. That's why I wrote notes. So, I'm going to do it in order. So, if I forget to say an age, you know that it, it's in order. So, I was born in McAllen, Texas. That is deep south Texas. I grew up with both of my parents and I don't obviously remember much before the age of four. I just remember things seemed pretty good. And then at the age of four, we moved to Mission, Texas, which uh, that's where I grew up all my life. And it was during that time that my dad started getting into a lot of alcohol. And he had drunk before, but it was when we moved over there when it got super excessive and it got just really heavy. And uh, just a note, I want to say that I have forgiven my dad for everything, for any damage, any hurt that was caused. And I just, I love my dad so much and I'm always going to love him. So I just want to say that before I continue. Anyways, as I was saying, uh, my dad started drinking very heavy and from the age of four all the way to 13 years of age, this is what I remember. So I remember my dad being drunk and drugged with cocaine, different pills, and marijuana almost all the time, like almost all the times, the, the times that I had the opportunity to see my dad sane without drugs or clean were the days early before school started which he was asleep, so I didn't even get to see him. I could also see him Saturday and Sunday before he went to work or uh, before he got drugged or drunk. I remember um, going to family parties and my dad was more than half of the time just in the bathroom and he was getting drugged, so he wasn't even part of the parties. I also remember that as kids, my brother and I will go to the store with my dad so that he could buy us brownies and junk food while he got some beers. So when we would go out with him, number one, he had already drugged himself. Number two, he had already consumed some type of alcohol that we had at home at all times. So on one of those trips, we were already heading home and my dad all of a sudden starts I guess hallucinating and he starts yelling and saying the cops the cops are behind me they're coming for me they're coming for me and he started speeding 
nonstop and he you, you could just see his eyes he just was just blank so we were very little we we're like six seven around that age and my brother and I would tell him no dad like nobody it's, there's nobody like stop stop in Spanish obviously um, and he would not stop and I remember he blew a red light and I remember that because my mom was super mad and she never let us go out with him again but anyways we got home he just parked the car, didn't even turn it off, and he ran to the bathroom and locked himself there. And he was just hiding. And my mom had to talk him out of there, you know, and just um, talk to us too because we were really scared. So we also, another story we had, a convenience store was like a block away, and my dad would go there to go get his beers and cigarettes. And there was a lot of nights where he would have hallucination episodes as well. And he would say that people, like he would think that people were going to go get him. And so he would literally leave the car at the store and run home, like leaving stuff behind, like keys, uh, you know, just shoes, items. And he would go inside the bathroom and lock himself up. And we would always be like scared because we didn't know how he was going to react. And uh, my mom would have to talk him out of that, you know, episode he was having. And we were just there like waiting for him to like calm down, right? And there was even one time that he grabbed a, a machete, which is like a long knife. Um, and he locked himself in there and that was pretty dangerous. And we were really terrified of what he could do that day. Um, but every time he had these episodes, it was always at night because it was after work, but my mom, my brother and I, we would have to walk to the store, just, you know, on the road and just with a flashlight and trying to pick up whatever he left, getting the car and driving back home. So this happened a lot. Um, my dad would combine alcohol with many other drugs and this made him aggressive and there was a lot of arguments in our home that happened between my parents. And I remember one of those days that my mom grabbed my brother and I from our hands and she, she just said, run. So we ran. And there was a broken down car in our lot. It, it didn't work, but it was, it was there, you know, pretend we're gonna fix or something, I don't know. And we locked ourselves in there. And my dad was just banging on the window and on the car and just trying to get us out and we were terrified because he was drunk and aggressive. And, um, and so after that, like, I remember that he, like, he went inside to go get the keys because we had the keys, right? And uh, while he did that, my mom said, like, run. And the neighbors already knew us because whenever my dad would get aggressive, we had to leave the house and go somewhere. And the houses where we used to live at, it's not like here that you walk 10 steps and your neighbor's there. It was like more land, right? So we just ran to the, to the neighbor and they kept us in, they took us in. And this was very common, but um, that's how, you know, that, that's how it was. And God's, just mercy, God's mercy was just upon us even then, even though we didn't know about God or anything. As, as, you know, as I got older, there were nights that I would play cards with my dad playing cards. And I started understanding what was happening with my dad. 
my school taught me to say no to drugs. My teachers taught me to say no to drugs. And that's when I knew that my dad was under the influence of drugs. When he would play, I remember. And I cry because I just think of how he used to be and how God delivered him, you know, and I'll tell you more. But I remember that he would just have a blank stare and he would pause, just freeze for seconds and just stare into space. And I would be just there like, okay, you know. And every night he would play cards, drink, drug himself and smoke. And my mom and I, my brother and I, like we tried telling him to stop drinking and he wouldn't and he couldn't, you know, because he didn't have that power. He tried many therapies and getaways and Alcoholic Anonymous programs and nothing ever worked. So, and I also remember that we were very poor. My dad was the only one that worked because my mom was a uh, stay at home mom, right? And I'm very thankful that she did because I don't know what would have happened to us if she wouldn't have been there for us. But the majority of the money my dad earned was just spent on drugs. He spent like 400 minimum each week just on drugs. And the money that we had left over was for bills. And sometimes we didn't, we wouldn't even make it for bills because we had to ask the neighbors for money. So at this point, you know, our lives weren't headed the right way. Um, my brother and I were exposed to drugs, to alcohol, heavy arguments and pornography for as long as I can even remember. Uh, I myself became hooked on pornography since probably seven years old. I started having desires of alcohol about the age of nine. I secretly would grab my dad's beer, wine, and other drinks at home too. So I was not headed the right way. At the age of 13, my dad was arrested he was in the process of renewing his U.S. Uh, citizenship. He had already had it, but when he tried to renew it again, Customs found an aggravated assault felony that my dad had committed 20 years prior to that year. And he was going to be investigated and kept in prison until the case was solved or he was deported, one or the other. So this was a time, the first time that I was actually physically away from my dad. And despite his drug abuse, I loved him and I knew that he loved me. It was very hard for us and very devastating. So it was very hard emotionally, but also financially because my mom, like I told y'all, she would stay at home. And we obviously had no savings because everything was spent on drugs. So my mom got a job, but it wasn't enough. We lost the car that we, the only car that we had because my dad hadn't made the payments and we obviously couldn't pay it that month. We're already backed up. And so my brother and I had to work temporarily at the age of 13. And obviously you can't legally work at that age. So we had nine lime trees in our backyard. So we picked limes, we bagged them up and knocked door by door, house by house, business by business, apartment by apartment just to try to earn some money to pay the bills and help my mom. And we did make it somehow. And 
there you go again, like God's grace and mercy that was upon us. He was, he was watching. And every night I miss my dad. I, I thought I would never see him again because of what he had done. And he had to be in jail and stuff like that. And, but it was here where my life started heading another direction. My dad called us from prison during that first month that he was there and he told us to go to church and to ask for prayers. And uh, my dad was also attending church, which I didn't know what church meant. You know, I just knew that it was a building where God was. And the church that my grandma had, uh, where we started going, it wasn't Pentecostal. They didn't preach the truth, but that was the only exposure to God that I had. I had grown up seeing my mom just light up candles to saints and saying the prayers that were on the candles. And I would do it sometimes too. But about God, I, the only thing I knew about God was that he was the one that loved me the most and that was the most powerful. That's all I knew. And that was just according to my parents, what they had said. So we started going to church. The van would pick us up. And I'm very thankful for people that drive the vans because they are a powerful resource for a lot of people to meet God. I wouldn't have been able to get a church if it weren't for that van driver. So I'm very thankful for that. And then one morning during Sunday class, the Sunday school teacher taught a lesson on faith and the Hebrew scripture that says, now faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. My Sunday school teacher said, said to have faith despite what our circumstances looked like. At the end of class, she told us it was time to pray and to have faith, to put that faith into action. I did not know how to pray. I did not know what to say, but I was very curious to see if God would or could even like hear me. So I remember, I remember that day, I just put my head down on the table and I didn't know how to pray. But all I said was Jesus. I said his name. I said Jesus. I spoke his name. Jesus, Jesus. And I said faith, 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 Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And that's all I was saying. And all I was thinking was that I would see my dad again. And I was having that faith that my teacher talked about. And I felt God. It was the first time I ever felt God. And I didn't want to let go, so I just kept praying, right? And my Sunday school teacher had to walk me out of the class. She had to walk me out to my mom as I kept still saying faith in Jesus. I was 13 years old, I remember. That was the day that I met God. And Psalms 18 is it just, it's just really wonderful because that's, that's what God did for me. And it says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord and I cried out to my God. He heard my voice from his temple and my cry came before him, even to his ears. That was my God. My dad's lawyer had told my dad that according to his felony, he would be looking at about two years in prison and then deportation as a minimum if he got deported, if not more, if he stayed here. But guess what, guys? Like, 
God heard me. He heard me in that day. That Sunday morning in Sunday class, when I didn't have any like fancy words or anything, all I said was Jesus and faith. That's all I said, but God heard me. A week later in the second month, my dad called my mom and told her that Customs was giving him an opportunity to stay here and to fight the case through court trial because my dad, you know, it wasn't his fault what had happened. It was a misunderstanding and they were giving him an opportunity and he told my mom, I am willing to fight this case if you accept to follow God with me. And my mom, obviously she didn't know what that meant, but she said, yes, you know, absolutely. And, and my dad was going to church at, at in the prison through a prison ministry. There was a pastor there that would go preach the gospel. And I myself didn't know what following God meant, but all I could think of was that God had answered my prayer and that I was going to see my dad again. I was amazed that God heard the prayer of a 13-year-old that did not even know him. I didn't even know him and he still heard me. The powerful God had heard me and he had answered my prayer. After the second month, my dad said he was on his way home and we were all super excited. So my mom, brother and I, we set up a table with cold beers, with ice, with cigarettes, playing cards, you name it, just for his arrival. And this was our normal. This was literally our normal, so we didn't know any better. We just wanted to please my dad, and we thought we were doing something good. But the crazy thing is here. So when my dad arrived, he was holding a book, a black book that had a cross and said Santa Biblia, which means Holy Bible. And this was the same book that I would see at church. And he hugged us and everything, and he then came inside and saw the surprise, and he just like stopped, and he stared at us. And he just said, in this house, we will now serve God. And he grabbed everything and he threw it in the trash. He just dumped it. And I didn't know what that meant at that moment, but I was just amazed that my dad would do that. You know, the person that I would always see drugging himself every night. And he was getting rid of it. I was shocked, but I was happy and I said, okay. You know, and God delivered my dad from drug addiction, from alcohol, from everything. Since that day, he did not touch anything else anymore. And I was there to see it. And he had encountered God and God delivered him. I did not know what serving God was, but I was just happy, you know. And then after that, we visited several churches and ended up in a Pentecostal church. Things started getting better, not perfect, but better. My dad was baptized in Jesus' name. He was filled with the Holy Ghost. And then I followed, I got baptized and I was filled with the Holy Ghost at the age of 13. And then my brother and my mom. And it was just so beautiful. It was like nothing else I had lived. It was just like a fairy tale in, in my brain, you know. It was just, everything was dark, everything was gray, but when God came into the picture, everything turned into colors, you know. We started learning the Word of God and we studied together. And it was just amazing, so amazing. And, you know, despite meeting God, now I'm going out again. So despite meeting God, I still had lingering chains 
from what birth. Now I'm going into my teenage years. So despite meeting God, I still had lingering chains that were birthed during childhood. Chains like pornography, like lust, and desires of drugs. And this was from ages 14 to 19, what I'm going to tell you. So I was engaged in pornography. And yes, a woman was engaged in pornography. Many people overlook this because we're not men. But there is women out there that struggle with this too. I just want to point that out. And I did not do heavy drugs, but I was around friends that were drug addicts and consumed drugs in front of me, next to me. And God kept me from this. I did not do that, but God kept me. I would lie to my parents and tell them that I was at school when I was really not. One of those times, um, one of my friends took me to a man's house that I didn't even not know, but he had lent us a house to hang out or whatever. And he got there, so we had drunk, uh, drank a bit of beer and then the man got there and she locked me in there with the man. But I did not know this man and I was just, you know, scared because I did not know this man and she thought it was a joke. And now I think back at it, well, she eventually let me out, but I think back at it and I could have been, you know, just abused, raped, but God kept me again. So God has been keeping me for such a long time. I also struggled so much with self-appearance and self-esteem. I was full of vanity. I was obsessed with makeup, jewelry, tight jeans revealing clothing and anything that just looked attractive to men, not to God, to men. I dated, I dated various guys just for fun. I dated a married man that had just separated from his wife and God still kept me despite all this. I never reached the intimacy phase with anybody until marriage, until I got married. If you know what I mean, I don't want to say it because I don't know there's kids. So I had the opportunity, but I always felt a tug not to. And that was always God. It was always God. I always felt like that wasn't right. You know, despite dating, I, I thought it wasn't right. And God kept me again. So I did all this knowing God and while going to church after being filled with the Holy Ghost. I was trying so hard to follow God. And I was trying so hard to fit in this world. It was a battle. So one hand was holding God's hand and the other hand was holding this world. And, and it was just a battle, you know, between that. But God kept me again. When I turned 19, God spoke to me during one of those days in which I actually read my Bible in the morning. And he led me to Revelations 3, Revelation 3, 15 and 16. And it says, I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. That broke my heart, y'all. Like, it broke me that morning because I was lukewarm. I was choosing God to spit me out. It was my own decision. It wasn't God doing that. I was choosing that. I was headed that way. I was just headed to to the way of death, not life. Because I was lukewarm. And that day, 
you know, my heart was just so broken and I repented and I made a choice that day. And I said, this temple, this body will serve God. It just got alone. And I started getting rid of a lot of things. I started getting rid of people. I came to a lonely, lonely season for many months. And I, I just wanted God. And I had made, my, I made up my mind. And since that day, like I have grown in God so much. I started getting more involved in my church at the present time. And also in campus ministry, I, I was leading Bible studies at the university. Um, and that's actually where I met Omar and Omar was just, he, he would just blow my mind because he was just like so genuine and really after God's heart anyways. And then I graduated and then I got married and to Omar and then we moved to Austin and now we're here at AFC and, and I, I love our church. It, when I first got here, it was like, wow, this is church. Like I was just blown that it was all about Jesus. And just to, I'm already ending, but one thing I do want to note is that my dad's past doesn't really matter to me in the sense that I won't judge him and that I don't hold anything against him. But I will use his past to give glory to God, to share God's goodness. And I have to give credit to my dad for leading me to Jesus. I really do. After meeting God and over the years, my dad has, you know, become very successful and he's obtained properties, business, whatever. He's stable, wealthy. And one thing that my outside family, they ask me is, what is he leaving you as an inheritance? And I'm just like, really? You're asking this? Why? You know, in my mind. But you know what my response is? I say, those things don't matter. He already gave me all when he introduced me to Jesus. He gave me everything. He gave me everything. With Jesus. I tell my dad, there is no inheritance that can compare than him giving me Jesus. He gave me the way. He gave me the truth. He gave me the life. He gave me Jesus. And I thank my dad because he did not leave me at home sleeping while he was at church or while he was ministering to others. He took me to church. He read the word to me. He sat me at the table and gave me Bible studies. He instructed me. He prayed for me. He always did that. And it is true, Proverbs 22, 6. And that's the only inheritance I need. And I encourage parents, like, please don't stop pushing your children to God. Don't stop. And no matter the age, you have to have hope for them. Because they are watching, they're remembering, they're, you, you, could, you could save their lives if you push them to Jesus. There's not a better inheritance that you can give them than introducing them and guiding them to God's way. And to end, I want to say that I'm very thankful for our church family. Y'all are amazing. I, I just love y'all so much. Like When I don't go to church, I truly miss you. I, I really do. And I'm very thankful for Pastor Green and Sister Green. They are genuine. They have impacted my life in so many ways. I have learned so much in these past three years that I've been under their leadership. And I want them to know that whatever they're doing in the private is working in public. And it is working in my life. 
I am a living testimony of that. And God is using them to guide and instruct us. And they are here to give us hope and to truly serve us and to truly help us. And I can prove this by sharing that about over a year and a half ago, or maybe more or less. I'm, I'm not sure, you know. But in that time frame, I confessed to Sister Green that I was still battling with some pornography. And this was at AFC. And this was the first person I had ever confessed my secret sin. Other than Omar. Omar knew about it and he was always graceful and always prayed with me. And, you know, but I had always felt full of self-condemnation, guilt, shame. And I felt like a hypocrite all the time. And I was taught to hide my struggles at my past church. And, but after hearing a message that Pastor Green gave, saying that we had to confess to one another, um, you know, as well, other than just God and stuff, so we can heal. Well, I did. I confessed to Sister Green and I told her and I legit like expected the worst. Like I expected to be kicked out of the church or something. I don't know. But I said enough is, enough is enough and I need to confess. And I had shared my secret sin. I expected her to despise me. But you know what she said? She said, Lorena, she said, Lorena, because you have confessed, I respect you even more. I broke. I never thought anybody could ever tell me something like that. Because I felt like the most tarnished person in this world. But I felt God's love telling me, it's okay. You have confessed. It's time to heal. I felt a release. And I had finally confessed after so many years, all my life. And I wasn't judged. I wasn't condemned. I was loved through confession. She prayed for me and has kept up with me through the healing process. And it's just been amazing. And I'm very, very thankful. And I just want to say that I know there are ladies out there that are probably struggling with this right now you know with pornography and i want to encourage you to confess it expose it you need to confess it or whatever anybody's dealing with you need to confess it. you need to expose it in order for you to heal and i can assure you that you won't be more condemned than what you already are pornography is a secret sin but it is still sin it is not worse or better or anything than being prideful or jealous or for lying or having envy, it is all the same. It is sin. It is sin. And you got to confess if you want to heal. It works. Just do it. We are the body. You're not alone. Especially under this leadership. You're not alone. Anyways, um, I'm very blessed to have our AFC family and our leaders. God is just so good. And I'm truly amazed about how beautiful God is and how amazing he is. He's like any other. He is matchless. And that is why you see me worship with intention and so much joy. God has delivered me from many things. And that is why I love this verse that I'm going to read in Psalms 9. It says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and rejoice in you. 
I will sing the praises of your name, O Most High. There is also a song that says, that's named Done Enough by James Wilson that says, if you, do, if you never do anything else, you've already done enough. You've already done enough. It says, if you never do anything else, you've already done enough. You've already done enough. That's beautiful because God gave himself on that cross for me and for you. He gave me the Holy Ghost, that power, and he gave me the formula to get to him. And that is more than enough. I thank you all so much for listening to um, my testimony. I really love you all. Thank you so much for the love and, and just for being our family. And I love you all. So, we're done. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. God bless y'all. Bye.